This is the Daily Planet Special News Bulletin. Lois and Clark is our jam. We're talking about Terry Dean and Superman. We'll cover it all, at least we'll do what we can. And now, it's time for the show. And welcome back to Lois and Clark, the new podcast of Superman. I'm Matt Truex, and this month for a little special, uh, celebrate 30 years of the show, I wanted to talk to somebody special. And uh, I think we've got just that. Um, we've got a very creative person from behind the scenes on the show, behind the cape, if you will, who was uh, influential, to say the least, uh, in our series and in, in Hollywood in general. So without further ado, welcome to the show. Ms. Judith Brewer Curtis, how are you? I'm good. I'm I'm Very so good. I'm so glad to connect I'm, with you and be able to do this finally. Yeah, it's been thirty years, really. Amazing. It's been thirty years. A couple weeks ago, uh, the show turned thirty years old. The, uh, the first season, at least. Doesn't feel that old anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> um, so you are you were somewhat obviously you were a costume designer on the show, um, according to IMDb at least from season two through season four. Please correct me if that's wrong. Um, and and you have a, a one of those IMDb uh, credits uh, pages that just scrolls and scrolls and scrolls. You you've worked on so many things over the years, but I'd love to take you back to your your origin story. Um, where did the creativity begin for you? Were, were you always creative uh, as a child? Yes, I did. I did know what I wanted to do when I was really little. We lived with a friend of my mother's who was an artist. She taught me to draw when I was really young. Mm. So I knew I wanted to do something with art from then on. So I did. And that's I and obviously you, you um I'll link to it uh, when this episode goes live but, but you're um a pretty prolific painter and you and we talked the other day that, that you're you're back into your painting right now too. So obviously that's stuck with you all that your life. That's incredible. Where did where did the the costume where did the fact fashion side of it come from? Were you always, uh, you know, a, a kid that was into fashion or that type of thing? The costume side came, well, at first, I, when I went into the industry, I went into the fashion industry mm -hmm. out of college. I went to okay. school for it. Then I went into the fashion industry. I worked there for a while. And then I did, um, after that, I did Barbie, Barbie doll for a couple Really? Years, in the heyday of Barbie, when she was in the 70s. That's incredible. And then after that, I did paper clothes in the 60s. It was a big fad. And I invented this paper dress. And I sold it, sold one to Howard Almondson, who was the head of the museum, the Almondson Museum downtown. Yeah. And his wife, it was his paper wedding anniversary. And he wanted to be special for his wife. So I made her a paper dress. And that's how it got started there. And then after that, I um, went into the movie industry. That's incredible. I, I almost want to talk to you now about Barbies. I wish I was a little more more learned on the subject, but but are there... Um, how long were you doing the, the Barbie clothes thing? Were, were there like key pieces? About two years. About, about two, two years. years. That that's and obviously Barbie's having a big moment with the movie right now. That must be right, insane right to say. Yeah, she is. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had any um 
uh, I don't know, uh, toy collectors or even uh, women that were that were girls as a kid that that had your Barbies, uh, that, you know, seek you out or, or uh, have you signed anything or anything like that? Well, um, the one person who I know really well was the lady that worked there for 30 years. She did Barbie from almost the beginning. Mm-hmm. We stayed friends. She came to my wedding. And she's really a nice lady, and I thought they should have got her to do the to do the film, but they didn't. They never did. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm sure. I, I know they did take cues from from original Barbie clothes for the yeah. film. I wonder if any of your clothes were were recreated as costumes. Um, they had a the thing where they brought out the old, I guess, bestsellers, like the tie dye Barbie and mm-hmm. things like that. That was the era that I did, was in 19, let me see, what was it? Um, 70, I guess. The 70s? Yeah. That's, that's incredible. I, 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 this is, this is amazing. And already you worked on a show that is, that is, you know, dealing with iconography already. That's why we're connected. And even before that, you were dealing with a pop cultural icon. That's incredible. Yeah, well, the paper dress thing was really fun, too, because that went on for a couple, actually, a couple of years. And then after that, I went back into the industry. And I went to um, MGM, was mm-hmm. still working then. I started there doing, you know, whatever you have to do as a customer. You know, cleaning boots, as we always said. That's where <laughs> start. So, sure, start start from the ground up type of thing. Yeah, because it's kind of, a, it's interesting. You think you are getting somewhere on your merit, but it's not necessarily that. It's both that and who you know mm-hmm. in the industry. Certainly. And it's still yeah. that way now, but but it's more corporate now. Yes, but I yeah, well, there's that, but but certainly still still a lot of that who you know it it's it's a surprisingly small crowd working out here, right? It is. It is. Yeah. So what was? I was really lucky. I got a lot of work. I never was out of work actually, and I think I I retired at 28 years in the industry. That I wow. was never really out of work. I was either doing a show or a pilot or something. <laughs> well, yeah, th- that's what I wanted to ask you about too, because like um, certainly, it, like you're saying, you've got a career that that's pretty long lasting here. But it looks like you're doing, at least according to to the credits and the way the the years line up, it looks like you're doing some some like television shows at the same time as others, or maybe you had like a television show and then uh, two TV movies in the same year. Like, like um, I'm thinking just the 10 of us and growing pains seem to be concurrent when you look at your credits. Is that true? Is that your memory of it? They were, they were a show that the stage was right next door. Oh my God. And I was doing both at the same time. So I also did a couple of shows at the same time. Because you never knew when you were going to be out of work. So you sure. always had to have something to back up, you know. And but, you were in uh, hot demand, clearly, too. Person. Pardon me? And you were in hot demand, clearly, too. Well, it was nice because I had some really good producers who liked my work and mm-hmm. kept me on. And they were the same producers, those two shows. And then the movies of the week were usually with 
with Joanna Kearns, who was an actress on Growing Pains. She did oh, a lot okay. of movies. And, and so, she was, uh, do you think that that was something that she kind of put in a word and, and had liked working with you and that type of thing? Well, absolutely. I mm. mean, she was a great person to work with, and we're still friends to this day. And uh, she is directing now, and I've done some of her movies that she directed, but I retired before she really got into that. Sure, 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 sure. But, well, that, that... Uh, she would, we would have a hiatus period of a couple months during that time they could shoot a film. Sure. You know, a movie of the week or something. I, I'm so just impressed that you can do it, that you can be devoted to, to two series or like two projects like that at the same time. It seems like, especially with production, it, it'd be an, an all-consuming schedule. It was, but I had a good crew. Yeah. You're only good as your crew, that's what I said. <laughs> and is that something where you would kind of take your crew with you from project to project, essentially? Yeah. If I was lucky, I got them. <laughs> you know, they had their... They were good, so they had people that liked them too. But they'd come to work for me if they could, you know, if they were free and not working on another project. Yeah. So when you're, when you're kind of, I mean, I think by the time you're doing uh, like just the ten of us and growing pains, for instance, um, you, you're you're pretty well established in the industry. But what is something like looking back at the time when you're first getting into it? Um, do you have a moment where you go like, oh, that's where I first felt like I made it. Like I, I'd gotten to um, a certain level uh, where I wanted to be in my career. Oh, I never felt that. <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted to do something else. You know? I always wanted to do the next one. Okay. Whatever it was. Which clearly and is I what had, kept uh, you working. Yeah. You know, I liked television because I had two small children and I could get home at night. You know, it's yeah. a movie you can't. You can't really do that. You're there all the time. So Certainly. With TV, I could get, you know, you film for so many days and tape on Fridays or tape on Thursdays and start over. But that was on a sitcom. But then then when I did Lois and Clark, Lois and Clark was a, called an episodic. Right. That was a little more grueling because you're preparing one show while the other one's filming. Mm -hmm. So you're dealing with the problems of the day-to-day -day filming and also trying to get ready for the next show. And so when you're in that, and I, I'd love to get into the, your Lois and Clark time uh, shortly, but I, I'm just kind of curious for you as a creative person, like what is, what was the most exciting part for you um, of doing a, either a sitcom or or um, an episodic or an hour long? Like what, what was of being, you know, quote unquote, the costume designer for a, a series? What was the part that you were happy to spend the time on? I like the costumes the best. You know, if they gave me some challenge to do a costume of some sort. The present day clothes, a lot of it we had to buy because, you know, it's current. So sure. that's what we did. But I really like, you know, if they had something special, like some kind of superhero or alien space guy or, yep. you know, or period costumes, because we did some flashbacks and things like that. Absolutely. You know, when they come up with stuff like that, that's a lot of fun. Okay, that makes me happy. We'll get into some of that stuff in a in a second, I think. But um, uh, to to get into the Lois and Clark of it all, um, it, I think it's 1994 where you start in uh, on the series. Well, how did that come about? Um, well, I was working at, at Warner Brothers 
Mm -hmm. mostly so the two people in charge of the costume department was one was also in charge of the prop department okay and so they had worked together on a show these two guys and they hired me because someone just mentioned my name and i remember going on a interview for warner brothers it was had to be the hottest day of the year (laughs) and i I was interviewing for MacGyver, which was one show that was already con- continuing. Sure. And also Growing Pains, which was brand new. Okay. And so they wanted to know, they wanted to know which one I wanted to take, because they wanted me for one or the other. And MacGyver was way out in the valley, really, really. <laughs> and also the production office was in Hollywood. So you have to figure you're going from the set. To Hollywood to the Valley. Yeah, they spread all over the place. And then, even though Growing Pains paid less, it was right on the studio lot. Mm-hmm. So of course I said yes to that one. <laughs> and and, and that sitcom that, schedule you're talking about too, a little bit, a little bit easier. Yeah. Then after I got that, I did a lot of things like I did the pilot to head of the class. I did a lot of the pilot mm-hmm. for them during their off time. And I just got recommended um, to, uh, I think it was Deborah Joy Levine, who was the producer of Orphan yep. um, Clark at the time, and interviewed and got that job. I just interviewed for it. They, they'd never met me before, but they, you know, saw my work. and. Yeah. So, well, that, that makes me ask you a question. Deborah Joy um, famously created the show and then uh, left, as some would say, was possibly forced out by um, the network or, or studio after season two. So um, was she, I guess she was still involved when you were coming on. So maybe that was towards the end of season one, perhaps? No, I came on right after the pilot. Oh my God! Excuse me. I, I I have been lied to by the internet. So you've been you were there from day one. Um, I forget the guy that did the pilot. He's a good designer. I forget his name. Uh-huh. He did he did the pilot, and then he didn't want to do the show, as I understood it. That's what they okay. me. And then they hired me to do the show, but they didn't hire me as a designer. They hired me as a what do they call it? Costume supervisor. So that's why there's no credits on the first yeah. Part of the designer and That's... then i told them that that they could not really make up new costumes if they didn't have a designer on the show and since i had a designer's card they could uh-huh. hire me for that so i didn't really cost them more money in the long run they, they probably saved money hiring a designer and not you know not worrying about it yeah absolutely okay so the uh... Wow, that that's incredible to me. the The big smile on my face uh, is because I assume you were very much involved in um, the various uh, iterations and and then the final product of the super suit on the show of Superman's suit. Is that true? Well, that was interesting because the suit they had something on the pilot and they didn't like it. Yeah, the neckline wasn't right or something wasn't right. And, uh, you know, I didn't have that much to say about it because it was all up to DC Comics. Mm-hmm. The DC Comics had a lot to say about it. <laughs> and I met that fellow that uh, I used to call him every once in a while to find out where the story was going because the production wouldn't tell me. <laughs> they wouldn't tell me. So I'd call him and I'd say, what's happening down the line? And they kind of followed the story at the time 
of the comic okay. book. But they had a lot to say about that, the, the Superman suit. And they raised the neck and they made it look, uh, we made it look a lot better in the later seasons. You know, but he, a- absolutely. he filled it out. I mean, it wasn't padded at all. He filled out every inch of it. That, that is amazing to me, too, because yeah. I, I think it's basically after Dean, every other actor has some sort of muscle pad. I'm sure they're all big and, and you know, muscular guys, but they all have a little bit of, of help there. But he's really the last one that just wore, you know, what it looks like, just spandex over over his body. It was just him. Yeah, he was a really yeah. good looking guy. He probably still is. I recently but <laughs> <laughs> so i have to ask you know the the super suit technology has gone on and in all these superhero movies right now do their own things and print their own fabrics blah 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 the suit that you landed on on the series is is truly as a superman fan my favorite version of the suit in anything and if i close my oh, eyes and think of superman he's in that suit so th- that's just incredible to me i have to ask um kind of every version of superman does a little bit something different with the s um i always think of the one that you guys used on the series on on dean's suit as as kind of big and i don't know if if I mean, I want to say colorful or happy, even bubbly. Um, do, do you remember any kind of iteration from the S uh, when you came on board? Because it certainly wasn't, yeah, it didn't they, look like what it ultimately change, came out as. They changed it a bit, a little tiny bit every once in a while. But it was mainly they always had to go through DC Comics to mm. get it approved. I don't know if it was a rule or in a contract, but they told me it was just, you know, out of, consideration for them that they did sure that. but i think there was something in a contract that said that they had to keep you know something looking because they put that s on cups and plates and shirts and pins yep. and i think i think i have a still have a couple of those pins you know they had but the stuff in the that was in the show you know was uh, really different than what they sold in the, the store you know but yeah the s was what was in the comic? Yeah, comic no, book. fair enough. It, there's just there's still something very there's something unique about the the way that um, uh, you and your team put it together on the show that uh, it, it's instantly identifiable and it, it it's always it makes me happy to see it when when I see a fan or someone with with a shirt that is clearly that version of it. It's very cool to see. Um, well, that that's fantastic. And you you talked earlier too about. Um, being a little more interested in making the quote unquote costumes rather than the the normal clothes. But but also as far as the everyday wear for the cast, um, it did have a transition in season one to season two, where I feel like season one was a little more uh, retro, a little more uh, 40s and 50s, and then it became a little more modern in the series. So I, I wonder if that was an approach that you wanted to take or if that was something maybe the producers, the producer team was pushing forward for the series. You know, that, that's a really interesting question because the thing was that, you know, we had a budget, so we couldn't do a lot, sure. or they didn't want us to spend a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And the 40s look, I liked it a lot. The thing was that we had to fly her, and um, each time we had to fly her, we needed five of the outfits. Because sure. You one, you need a double. If she got messed up, you'd need a third. And if she flew, mm-hmm. you need two, two more. So to to put wire holes through, basically? Well, you need a bigger one for the flying suit. You need a size bigger, two sizes. And the wires hung from the hips, so they had to be pretty strong. 
because you had to hold yeah. your body up from their hips. So they were, you know, as far as she was very strong. Anyway, she was quite mm-hmm. an athlete. So we had to have things is to make four or five of those outfits would cost a lot of money. Because you're figuring sure. if you make something, it's probably about, in those, I don't know what it is now, probably more now, but there's about a thousand. You figure a thousand. Okay. You know, ballpark figure each. So then you say you, you have one flying thing. Just for her alone, you're spending $5,000. Right. And so if we bought it, it would cost a whole lot less. So if we got it out of, right. you know, off the rack, so to speak, we could alter it, change it a little, make it look a little different. But still, it was bought, and we could get it much cheaper than $1,000 a piece. So, I mean, that she makes sense. looked terrific in clothes. You know, whatever it called for, she always looked terrific. She had a great figure. And yeah, it, I remember both of them certainly wore whatever you, you came up with pretty well, absolutely. Yeah, they both looked really good. The thing yeah. was that she, in, in this case, say one particular case, she had to go in a tank of water and they were drowning her. You know, you figure every show mm-hmm. they were killing her. Oh, somebody was going <laughs> to kill her. And he was going to save her. That was the whole thing. So I found this dress that had not please, but slits of panels, panels that would slit up to the, the top of the leg. And okay. it looked great in the water because the slits opened up. And you can see all her legs. It was real glamorous. And it was funny because the dress shrank once you put it in the water. So it even looked better, you know. But So we needed five or six of those. Sure. And that the dress was relatively really inexpensive. So we didn't have to make it. But if we made it, you'd figure every show was over budget then if we made it. If you're starting from scratch every week. Yeah, we went a little more contemporary at the third season. Second season was still... 40s, and then we went more contemporary. Yes, then certainly. Then had a lot to say about what you wore. That's funny, Judith. That was my next question because I, I know you know some actors and actresses are, are a little more involved than others. Was 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 Terry someone who was, um, uh, you know, active in making selections per episode, or or would you like meet with her once a year and go through things? What what was that uh, dynamic like? Well, she had a lot of changes usually in every show. She had mm-hmm. probably would figure five changes a show and one of them was always a flying thing you know and, and it either was a flying thing that got damaged or she had a damaged one and then another one that was flying so she sure. needed a lot of multiples on everything and then terry um i remember after the first season terry uh, met somebody in new york that she liked some stylist the director for uh, design, okay and she wanted to wear this outfit that he picked out for her. And I told her, I said, this doesn't look at anything like Lois. And she insisted she wanted to wear it. And so after she wore it, she agreed that she'd defer to me after that. Because <laughs> it didn't look right at all. <laughs> I, I am so curious what outfit that was. Do you have any memory? It was a really short black skirt, a little okay. white top. It was a midriff kind of sweater. Interesting. It, it. it looked very young and contemporary it didn't look at all like lola well we we used to put her in the 40s look as much as we could and i would even get some really great things from the vintage houses you know to fit on her mm-hmm. they were just terrific but um so we couldn't switch from that to this mini skirt you know in the middle of a look but she insisted so i okay. said okay fine you know 
at a certain point, you give up, you know. Yeah, you know? yeah. And then she learns, you know, because I was pretty nice about it. I figured every actress has something they they think they want to do, you know. Right. And they and it sounds I like mean, your your gamble really paid off. Yeah, they really worked her hard though, because she was a very good actress. And she used to come in at five to get made up in the morning mm -hmm. and she'd be the last to leave and she was in every scene and, you know, it was just yeah. running her ragged. I was kind of surprised when she didn't come back for the show, but not surprised in a way because I knew she was really tired of it. But, sure. Um, and she was, was pregnant at that, that point too, I think. Yeah, but she did in the middle of the season of the hiatus. And so everybody had already promised to do the show again. So all these right. people were out of work. It was, wasn't really wonderful, but I already had another job because I already <laughs> had two jobs. Yeah, but, you, uh, you apparently weren't waiting for anything to get picked up there at the time. I learned that, yeah, I learned that. Yeah. Well, but um, I liked working with her because she was really great to dress. I bet. I mean, she she's a gorgeous woman. I, I'm sure that was that was a great yeah, you know canvas to have at the time. It's like having a live Barbie. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're still playing with dolls. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I I want to ask you about some of the more specific you know costumes that showed up in the superhero we show. Was was Lois and Clark kind of the first big? A genre project that you'd worked on with superheroes, or, or you know, had you done anything in the in the sci-fi or supernatural fantasy realms before? Um, I had done some plays and things like that, mm -hmm. but nothing for TV. Most of the stuff that I did for television was, you know, pretty contemporary. Was that element something that attracted you to the, the show in general? Um, I'd like to say yes, but at that point, you take any show, you know what I mean? <laughs> if you needed a show, you took a show. And that yep, was, fair enough. I was just lucky that I got a great one, you know, yeah. to work on. Well, th that's fair enough. So, okay, when you're starting to dress and come up with costumes for characters, the, the show didn't do this too much, but there were certainly characters, villains, and that type of thing from the comics that the show would bring in. Um, I know you were saying DC had a lot to say about Dean's super suit. When, when you would do characters from Krypton or, you know, specific villains, were there, do you remember any mandates from DC coming down or was that something that you'd have to kind of clear with them the direction you wanted to go? Uh, not particularly, no, because what we had to do was use what we could find in the wardrobe department and put mm -hmm. it together to make a, you know, an unusual look. Yeah. Because when we did all of the, we did a lot of villains and things like that. And the wardrobe department at Warner Brothers had just wonderful stuff. We could mix it up and really make great stuff out of it. Yeah. I remember we had to have a lot of extras in one and we had to dress all the extras. You know, when you have to do that, you have to come up with stuff. So we just put together a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah, and the villains especially were fun. Oh, well, that yeah. Let, let, let me ask you about one of the one of the big villains from the series was Lane Davies as Tempest. He he came back many times, but when we first see him, he's a man from the future. The script calls it an aluminum suit, and and your team had to interpret that on on a budget and a schedule, and come up with uh, basically like a, a silver quilted vest um, and and a blue sweater. Like when you when you would read some of the more outlandish asks in the script, 
Um, was that ever anything that gave you pause or was there like there was no time to to sit and worry about it? Basically, you had to go, go, go. Well, a lot of times they'd come up with that stuff and they want they had in mind what they wanted to do. But if we couldn't find it, you know, we changed their mind. We <laughs> give them something else. You know, we put together something and show them some ideas. So a lot of times we'd show them different ideas. I remember one time um, the producer wanted uh, a, sh- a dress for a wedding dress for Lois mm-hmm. and said, well, put her in a Calvin Klein. I said, we can't put her in a Calvin Klein because it flies. And I said, we can't get Calvin Klein to make us five gorgeous wedding dresses in a week. Right. You know? <laughs> and they said... I remember it was funny because I was I was getting exasperated because we had so much to do. And they said, well, what are you going to put her in? I said, we already have her dress, and she approved it. And they said, what are you going to put her in? I said, we're going to put her in a designer's dress. And she said, well, who's the designer? I said, me. <laughs> we already had five made. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're going with it. Yeah, now, obviously, there famously, there were two weddings on the show, two wedding dresses. Which which dress was your design? Or was it both of them, ultimately? It was the second one. The, the second, second one. It's a beautiful off, dress. Yeah, it was off of, uh, took it out of some movie. I saw some things I liked. And, you know, I just, I like to design clothes. So mm-hmm. I just put that together. And it worked really well because it had to fly. Yeah. So we made a, a skirt that would work with the with the wires and things like that. You know, that's what we did. When you would have to do something like I was going to say a villain, but like Lois's wedding dress on Lois and Clark is a big deal. When when these big story elements are coming up, or maybe some sort of uh, alien villain, are, were you ever given a heads up? Were you ever given a little more time, a little more budget on anything? Or was it always just like whatever? It was always just the cycle of scripts. No, um, sometimes we were given heads up. Mm-hmm. But I usually found out through the DC comics what was coming up. <laughs> I'd call him. And then I would go in and ask them, are we going to do a wedding? Or are we going to do this? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they wouldn't come out with it and tell me ahead of time. Okay. They're writing and they're busy, you know. Sure. So if they're busy, they're not going to think of us. And we had to really, you had to be really aggressive, I think, to find out what's going on ahead of time. We only had about a week or two to get anything ready. It's unusual. It's incredible that that you were able to pull it off for four years and do it well, in in such I mean, a genre did, show. Yeah, we did things overnight. Sometimes it, we even um, we were even amazed. That's so impressive to me. Um, especially again, I've got I've got two more kind of costumey ones I want to ask you about. Um, famously, uh, in one episode, Lois gets Superman's powers and she becomes a superhero herself, Ultra Woman. And this is not from the comics. This is, you know, their own interpretation of it on the show. And you got to make your own super suit for Terry to wear. What was that right. process like? Well, we knew we were going to make something like that. And I had a bunch of sketches that I showed her mm-hmm. what I thought this should look like. And so she and I worked something out together. Because I knew it was going to be something she had to wear a lot. And, you know, I wanted her to be comfortable in it. Yeah. And the hardest part of that whole thing was the mask. And I remember we agonized over that. And I really? still to this day would have done it. I would have done it differently, the mask. But that's all the time we had. 
now they do a lot of stuff. They mold it, you know, and they yeah. do a lot of things with, with costumes that we weren't able to do. We didn't have that capacity. No, of course. Now but, they but... have different ways they can make things that we, you know, we didn't have that luxury to do it that way. And yet still, especially that Ultra Woman costume is is iconic for fans of the show. People people love that costume. It's still on display in the Superman Museum in Metropolis, Illinois. Oh. Like it, it's uh, I, That's I, great. Yeah, that I, it's very cool to me that that you were coming up with designs for I, I would kill to see those designs a day. That that's amazing. Um, so yeah, if if nothing else from this conversation, please know that your work is, lives on and, and is well loved by a lot of fans who are, are freaking out like me to that's hear nice. that you that's brought nice. sketches of Ultra Woman to to Terry Hatcher. That's incredible. Um, the 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 last one specifically I want to uh, get to was uh, at the end of season four or excuse me end of season three beginning of season four there was the new Krypton arc other Kryptonians came back Clark got to get the the black Superman suit and then the villains had these big chest pieces essentially you suddenly at the start of a season had to clothe an entire kind of alien race and make that happen very quickly. Uh, do you have any specific memories uh, from that or, or putting those looks together? I laugh when you say memories because half the time we're asleep. We're so tired. <laughs> um, I know, and we're 30 years old. I, I... No, I remember trying to put that stuff together. I mean, we knew what we wanted to do and we found pieces in the wardrobe department. Really? We put like a couple of things together. And, you know, put a patch on it, and that was it. <laughs> That's... I'm looking at things now. Yeah. And I remember that. I remember what we came up with. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure. I'm sure Dean's suit is a make, and then you obviously put the S on it. But you're saying things like the villains are in their own gear, and that and that's that stuff that you're finding and and repurposing essentially. That's incredible. Yeah, I remember Simon. Yeah. Yeah. He's English, right? Yes, yeah. he was. Yeah, is. Oh yeah, the yeah. guest stars. It was a big deal. There was some great guest stars that you got to work with and, and dress on this show over the years. It's very cool. Um, I should ask you too. We talked about the second wedding dress. Do you have any memories of the first wedding dress? The, the uh, she had the long sleeves and and the lace and the embroidery on it. Well, I, we we took a kind of a plain dress and added stuff, and then hmm. it made it look a little more luxurious. But it was pretty much off the rack, that one. Okay. I can see the picture now, yeah. Yeah. We made well, I, the veil for it. You didn't have to fly her in that one, too. So hopefully that was a little bit easier. No, we didn't. We only needed one dress. Yeah. So well, we that... didn't fly her. We only needed one. <laughs> it, Unless, of course, she got dirty or something. Right, which hopefully for the one wedding scene, she won't. I know. Well, yeah. Sometimes they threw her in mud. I remember they just tried to do the... Some of the worst things to poor Terry. Yep. What can we do? I remember one time going to a production meeting. I was the only woman at the production meeting. And they were going to do something. I remember there was a fire or something. And the minute they'd say fire, the prop man was kind of asleep until that point. And then he'd clerk up and go, fire, you know, <laughs> get all excited. He'd, he'd want to blow something up every time. Sure. And then they'd look at me and go, well, they had described that she was going to be in this outfit or that outfit. Mm -hmm. They'd say, will she, then they'd look at me and go, well, will she wear that? <laughs> I'd go, well, she'll wear that. Or, or I'd say, wait a minute, she's not going to wear that, you know. 
Yeah. I know that she wasn't going to wear, and I'd suggest something else, and they'd go usually go with it, you know. But by that time, I knew what she'd wear and what she wouldn't wear, what she really couldn't wear. For the thing is, they didn't have this idea of this uh, continuity of the look. You know, they just wanted to dress. So I had to keep that in mind that I was going from one look to another, you know, but they thin person in every scene. So it had to be something she had in her closet, so to speak. No, that makes sense. It, yeah. It's amazing to me, too, that especially after Deborah Joy left, you're in a production meeting on a show called Lois and Clark that that has the quote unquote feminist take on Superman. And you're the only woman in the meeting. I was the only woman in the meeting. The producers weren't there. Joy wasn't there. And uh, there was one Judy Zaylor. She was the vice president and she would come out every once in a while. She was really quiet. We got to be kind of good friends. Mm-hmm. She would come to the meeting, and after so, a few minutes, she'd leave. And I'd always, I'd always say, "Traitor," because she'd leave me there all by myself. But she was the only other woman that ever came. I think this meeting. Nobody else ever came. It was all men. That's nuts to me. Um, I don't want to keep you too long, but I, I do want to ask. You know, after Lois and Clark, you go on to to great success with other things. You know, suddenly Susan. Um, certainly stands out. Taking your career in total, now that you're retired, do you have a, a proudest, uh, I don't know if moment is fair, but uh, a project or, or something in particular that you're proudest of, or just the, the breadth of it in general, the fact that you just kept going and going? Um, it's hard to say because each one was so different. You know? Yeah. And it's really hard to say. I mean, I like certain things better than others. I worked on a show called um, Campus Lady. I don't know, you probably never saw it. It was a comedy. It was all improv. And I just loved that show because there was no script. Yeah. And that you could do what you wanted. And, you know, they didn't even tell me what to do. I did whatever I wanted. And that was really fun because then I had an interest in the creation of the show. Yeah. Because, well, you know, what you see on screen is what you're going to see. And we'd always tell them, put the money on on screen, you know, <laughs> don't put it in whatever. Yeah. And um, that was a really fun show to do. Plus, they had every comedian you could imagine guest star on that. It was oh, really man. Fun to work I want to look this up. Yeah, I remember working with uh, Pee Wee on that, too. Oh, Paul so Rubens. Fun. Yeah, because he was one of my favorites out of all time. And he came on, and it just was amazing. It was so nice. And he was just as nice, nicer than I even thought he could be. That's yeah. amazing. Oh, you, you have, you've certainly rubbed elbows with the best of them over the years. That, that's really incredible. On uh, Suddenly Susan, we had Tony Curtis. Oh, on Lois and Clark, you had Tony Curtis. Yeah, and we had to put, we had to dress him as a woman because half of the, the show was about him being dressing up as a woman. And oh, so well. we had to put pantyhose on him. <laughs> the male customer and I were pulling up these pantyhose. And I wish I had that on tape. That was the funniest thing. And no he was ki- so funny. He was so nice and so funny. But some like um, it hot style. That's incredible that you got to do yeah, that with him yeah, again. Was, they always kind of brought in the person as what they were, you know, at the time. We did some really good things on that. Obviously, your, your career knows no bounds, but it, neither does your creativity. We said earlier, you're still painting. Does painting uh, kind of scratch a different itch for you than doing the costume design work? Or, or are they kind of one and the same in your head? Um, I've always wanted to be a painter. 
No, I was like that. And I, I took on fashion because my mother was in fashion at the time. She did uh, sales and modeling and things like that. So I went into the fashion end of it because it was interesting at the time. And then I went from there to Barbie to paper clothes. But I always wanted to paint. And I never thought I was really, I only took classes in fashion drawing. So I never got to paint what I really wanted to paint. So a friend of mine was very ill with cancer. And I remember taking her home past this art school, drove past the art school. And I thought I should go in there and see what they're offering. I went in and I said, I want to learn to paint in acrylic. Do you have a class? They did. So I started a class. I learned to paint in acrylic. Because in school, I only painted in oil. So I didn't, you know, I couldn't take the smell anymore. The oil. Yeah. I didn't know how to paint in acrylic. So I thought it was decidedly different, but it wasn't that different. But anyway, then I got this class and I've been taking classes ever since. Until I got ill, and then I had to take off a couple of years, but I'm back taking class. But you're back at it. Yeah. I mean, again, we've got one of your pieces, and I've looked at your site as well, and it's just, it's incredible work. I would never have thought that you hadn't studied it, frankly. So that's incredible. And I'm so glad to hear that you're back at it again, too. Yeah, I am, too. I really like it a lot. And of yeah. course, now it's like, I couldn't work in the industry now, health-wise, I couldn't. But also, it's so different. My daughter was in the industry for a while, mm -hmm. and it's so decidedly different that I wouldn't enjoy it, I don't think. Everybody that I know that I work with has retired, so it wouldn't be the same. Sure. You know? But I, I, like to, I love doing, actually, what I'm doing. So I do a lot of commissions, and right now I, I want to paint stuff for myself, but I haven't had time. I've got so many <laughs> commissions I'm doing. Oh, that's a great problem to have, right, as a painter? I know. I yeah. know. I'm really happy about it. So, Well, that's fabulous, Judith. I, I don't want to take too much yeah. more of your time, but I, I, I have to say, truly, this was an absolute thrill for me to get to talk to you. I love this show for many reasons, but one of them is truly aesthetically. Uh, it is it is my happy place to look at, and your costumes are, are a very big part of that. It, it, it's something that I go back to all the time that I've done my own paintings of, inspired by some of your work on the show. So just as a fan... And uh, to someone that really put in the time and the effort over the years to make the show what it was, thank you so much for your work. And thank you so much for, for sharing your memories with us today. Well, thank you. It was nice to speak to you about it. It's nice to remember. Okay. Bye-bye. Right. Bye, Judith. Well, that was a thrill. Um, I've been wanting to talk with Judith for a long time. So I'm so glad that this finally got to happen. Judith, if you're still listening, thank you again for taking the time to share with me and the Lois and Clark fans that love you out there. Uh, everyone, please check out Judith's site, jbcurtis.com. She's incredible, uh, as, as incredible a painter as she was, um, a costumer and, and just a creative person in general. Uh, anyway, I told you I'd be checking in. I had to do something for the 30th and, and I was so glad that it got to be this. So uh, everyone, thank you for staying subscribed. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time. But till then, folk off, everybody. Lois and Clark to the new podcast of Superman is a daily knockoff production. Please review us on iTunes, follow us on social, and we'll see you in Metropolis.